You're now entering Red Zone with Chairman Rick Scott. Paid for by the NRSC, not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee, nrsc.org. So welcome to the NRSC Red Zone. Uh, I'm Senator Rick Scott. I'm here with my good friend, uh, Senator Rand Paul, who is actually up for election this year from the great state of Kentucky. I used to live in Kentucky. It's a beautiful, beautiful state, although they had a lot of snow when I was there. We'll take you back anytime, <laughs> as long as you're not running for Senate. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So. so let's the first thing. Um, first, thanks for coming. Uh, the, let's talk about uh, the Biden COVID response and the inconsistency of Dr. Fauci. I mean, one, you've got, you got the medical background. You clearly have focused on holding the Biden administration accountable and the CDC and Dr. Fauci. So just tell us what you're doing and what you, where you think we're going with this. You know, my objections to a lot of what's come out of the Biden administration, Fauci in particular, have been that as someone who likes individual liberty and likes to be left alone from government, I don't like being told I either have to take a vaccine or have to take a medication, have to wear a mask, have to do this and that. But it would be a little bit less um, distasteful if I found out the things they were telling me to do actually worked. And as we've looked at the science, I mean, I spent countless hours looking through this, trying to find out if it works. I still might be against mandating behavior, but if it doesn't work, I'm really against mandating behavior for things that don't work. And so what we've known from the very beginning and is still true, we knew this before the epidemic from studies, controlled, randomized studies, that cloth masks don't work. But if you say that, you get taken down, big tech takes you down. And you said that early. I've said it, yeah, for a couple of years now, but then YouTube got aggressive with me and took me down because I was saying it. But then in the last month now, you've seen, you know, the woman over at CNN that's their doctor who's an acolyte and disciple of Dr. Fauci. She loves the mandates. All of a sudden, she's saying that, you know, cloth masks are nothing more than facial decoration. So I think we should uh, not punish our kids. Right now, it's who gets punished? The people who work for us. I see all these senators, and then all their staff has masks on. I see the people serving the food. All the people eating have their masks off, and then the servant class has it. But then I see these poor kids. I see Stacey Abrams with, you know, her big smile. And these poor kids are stuck in masks eight hours a day. It doesn't help anybody's safety. It's a crime against our children, and I will continue to rail against it until we finally get it reversed. Do you think we're ever going to find out the, uh, the origin? Yeah, and uh, that's one thing I've pledged. If, 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 I, if the Senate is taken over by a Republican and I'm chairman of a committee, I will use the subpoena power to get to the bottom of this. The way I look at it is when I first looked at it, I actually accepted what the scientists said for about nine months. They said, oh, it just it looks like it didn't come. And I felt like, well, maybe I'm not the expert. But the more I read, the more I looked into it, the more I thought, oh, my goodness, there's a lot of evidence that it didn't come from animals. Number one, they tested 80,000 animals in the wet market. None of them had COVID. Well, they could say, well, they just haven't found the animal yet. Maybe, but 80,000 animals from the wet market's a lot. The other thing they did, and they did this early on, and this wasn't widely reported, they looked at 9,000 samples of blood from people who had the flu, enough mm -hmm. to be ill to get their blood drawn in 2019 in China. They looked at the blood and they said, well, you know, if, if this came from animals, it would kind of gradually raise its head and then get more and more exponentially grow, but it wouldn't just be there without sort of gradually getting into the population. <clears throat> they estimate statistically a few hundred of the 9,000 would have COVID from 2019, zero. Nobody had it, it just suddenly appeared in humans. But it gets even more nefarious. In 2018, the Chinese asked our government for research money to put a specific 12 nucleotide sequence into the RNA 
It's called the Furin Cleavage Site. And they said, we want to do this. And even our government, which has been lax, said, hey, we're not touching that. That could make the, the virus very contagious to humans. Fast forward to 2020, Fauci's getting emails in the evening of January 31st. He's getting emails at 2.30 in the morning. They're fast and furious going back, going, holy cow, this looks like it came from the lab. Why? Because they looked at the sequence of the virus, and lo and behold, that 12 nucleotide sequence was in the virus. And you ask a lot of these people, and they say it doesn't exist in nature. You can't find a natural coronavirus with this sequence, but it was in a research paper that the Chinese wanted to do this research two years before. So can we say with 100% proof it is? No, but we can certainly, I think it's a 90-10. And Fauci put that out right away, right? No, he uh, immediately Shocking. he immediately talked to the scientist who said they thought it came from the lab, and he rallied them. And there are some existing emails between him, Dr. Collins, and the scientist. But you know what his argument was? And this is very typical of him. This represents exactly who he is. He said it would hurt the institution of science and the Institute of Science is him, right. and it would hurt science, it would hurt the WHO, it would hurt the Chinese feelings of their scientists, but it was more important the reputation of government than the truth was. And this is, this is true of a lot of the things he tells us, and this is why I don't really give him the sort of innocent bystander respect. Right. I do think that he is Machiavellian in that he will present things to us that he knows are not necessarily true, or he'll give you part of the truth because he wants to do you to do something that he think is for the better good. So he is a collectivist. He, he believes in the, in the grander scope and not the individual. But some of it's not uh, really even maybe good for the collective. The idea that cloth masks work. He told us that because why? He knew it wasn't true. He really did. But he didn't want you to buy the N95s because he thought there'd be a shortage in hospitals. The honest thing would have been said, either have some rules on how we sell them yeah, or we, say, yeah, we're, we you know, the government's going to buy them first or whatever, but don't buy them because they don't work as well in the public and we need them for our doctors and nurses. Yeah. But he didn't tell us that. He sort of lied to us. But it's been the same with protective immunity. So if he were sitting right here, he would admit that if you've been infected with COVID, you do get immunity. You know, you have protection. But he said, well, we don't know how long. Now we know it's at least 22 months. We also know that it's as strong as a vaccine or even stronger than the vaccine. The reason he doesn't want to tell you this, he wants to give you an incomplete picture because he just thinks it's simpler just to get vaccinated. Just vaccinate everybody. People are not that smart, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, it's an elitist point of view. Yeah. It's kind of the difference between us and them, frankly. They are elitists who believe, right. you know, we're just a bunch of rubes from flyover country and that we're not smart enough to take care of ourselves. But I'm a big believer, even as a person, who, as a physician with a medical degree, that I don't think there's a medical problem that if I'm taking care of you that I can't explain to you that you shouldn't have input in, even if it's heart well, surgery or body. brain surgery. Well, no, things aren't that complicated. you got a brain right. tumor. What are the chances I live if I don't take it out? Zero. What are the chances I live if I take it out? You might get a, you know, you might get a year, you might get six months. These are discussions. It's that, your decision. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think um, that people aren't smart enough to make up their own mind on these things. So you had to be happy, um, believe in liberty and freedom about the Supreme Court decision on the OSHA mandate. Yeah, I wish it had been a better decision on the medical mandate, but it was definitely a blow for freedom. And it shows why elections have consequences. I mean, the fact that I'll never forget, I was playing golf with Donald Trump after he nominated Gorsuch. And I'm a big fan of Gorsuch. I think he's one of the best. And I looked at him and I said, you know, you might, you might get maybe two or three. And he looked at me and said, 
<laughs> Which didn't turn out to be true, but he always had this overly optimistic viewpoint. Yeah. No, he, he still thought he, he was going to be there eight years. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He was there eight years, and who knows? Maybe there's more more to come. But I would say that uh, getting three was was big. And uh, I know he and Senator McConnell aren't seeing eye to eye at this point, but Senator McConnell did something which was very important to the country, and that was with all of our help, you know, blocking Merrick Garland right. in the end. And, and as a consequence, we got three justices. And as a consequence, we had a blow for freedom in that they right. interpreted that the government doesn't have the power to, to actually tell us we have to get a vaccine. Yeah. Do, you think, do you think the Biden administration is going to stop trying, trying to do mandates? I think this week is uh, so the telltale sign that the pandemic may be over. They're doing two things. Democrat governors are lifting mandates, which means they're hearing from Democrat. You were a governor. Moms and dads don't have to be Republican or Democrat if they're unhappy about their kid being in a mask all day. And they're starting to hear the news. It's finally seeping out that, well, maybe the masks aren't even protecting our kids. Maybe we're just doing this for show. So I think that's one telltale sign. And I think the other is, is that... Um, I think that they, they just, I don't believe they, they are seeing the electoral writing on the wall if they, if they don't do something. I guess the science, now now politics <laughs> control science. Well, right? that and the other thing, you're seeing the <clears throat> Biden administration now saying that, uh, well, maybe some of these people are dying with COVID, not from COVID. And, you know, our side has been saying that from the very beginning, right. the count might not be right. Some people say, well, so many Americans die because America's a terrible place and they're so unhealthy. There might be some unhealthy aspects to the death count. But I think we've counted them differently. We also put in a monetary incentive. There right. is a monetary incentive to count deaths. You know how hospitals work. And so they're being overcounted. And so I think it was in Florida, actually, there was a case of a young man who died in a, a terrible car crash and they tested him for COVID. And he had to so more money. Yeah. Um, but I think they're, the Biden administration is now reevaluating re how they're counted. The other reason they're doing it is, is I think one of the most unfair things that Biden said in the campaign, and of course the media did nothing to check him on it, was he said it was Trump's fault. 200,000 people had died or 300,000 people had died. It's never anyway. This is essentially coming from Mother Nature or a lab, but it's essentially not really the a government official's fault on either side. But now you have maybe going to have twice as many people have died under Biden as better Trump. So if it was Trump's fault, maybe it's Biden's fault. really Biden's fault. Then. I think that's why they're going to change the retreat. They don't want the election to be on masks or uh, mandates by the time we get to November. And really, many people are feeling after this last wave. I ask audiences in Kentucky, have you had it? Almost everybody raises their hand. In the last wave, a bunch got it, and a bunch of us had it in the previous waves, too. So talk about uh, school closures and uh, mandates for kids. What do you think uh, about that? You know, I think that the kids are going to be set back. We're going to have a generation of kids who lost a year or two of education. Um, you've seen it. You've been a big part of education in a state. One of the stabilizing forces for kids who don't have a real strong family unit is school. It's one thing that works for them. They go to school every day. Some of them get fed there. Some of them get fed more than once there, so they get healthy food. But they're, they're getting an education and some stability. There, there are stories of people being lost. What do you mean by being lost? They're kind of keep track of them. They're not signing onto their computer. People have no idea where, even where they are. And they're just being lost to follow up. And this isn't just dozens of kids, it's thousands of kids across the United States. The other thing is, is that, and I do believe that the child research on development, that people, kids learn by looking at faces and there's a, there's a, a human interaction with faces. But as someone who doesn't hear well, I also know that seeing people's lips and, and being able to read their lips makes a big difference. And, you know, it's when I first learned that I couldn't hear very well, I'd be in the operating room and people would all have masks on me and I'd be like, what, Re repeat that again for me. But um, there was a hearing impaired kid from University of Chicago the other day, and he uh, 
is complaining because they used to at least take their mask off when the professor spoke. Now the University of Chicago, among other stupid things, is dictating that the professors keep their mask on even when speaking. At the front of a room, <laughs> away from all the students. Yeah. yeah. I talked to a young lady that's been very cautious of COVID, and uh, she has about a two-year-old daughter. She said, how is my daughter going to learn to, to speak if you don't even see the, uh, the lips? It's all become such a charade, too. I mean, I had somebody that came in as a nominee for a high position. We sat this close, and we talked for 30 minutes, and then we were going to do a picture at the end. I think his suggestion, he wanted to do a picture. I said, well, that's fine. He says, you mind if I put my mask on? And I'm like, whatever floats your boat. I mean, if that, if you need to have it on for a picture, go ahead. But it's 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 such it a, it's a theater. I think it was probably also a cloth. <laughs> I went in, I, although they've gotten smarter on that. I've noticed more of them have it. I was in a hearing today. It was a classified hearing. And I was sitting next to one of our Republican senators, and I said, "Let's. You want to bet how long it takes them to take the mask off? No Republican had a mask on. Every Democrat had a mask on. About an hour into the briefing, everybody's going to do this, and all of a sudden, half of them had their masks off. But it's like two or three of them I know personally have had COVID once or twice, and they've had four vaccines. It's like, come on, you know, learn to live with a little bit of uh, risk in our world, particularly when you probably aren't doing anything. Even with a good mask, oh, it's hard it. to keep them on." And people still can die, but that's another complaint I have with Fauci is that the people who are at risk factors, overweight and age, uh, there are therapeutics out there, and nobody's talking about it because he's a one-trick pony. You either get vaccinated right. or the nuclear winter of the unvaccinated will kill you. Instead of having the sympathy, I mean, I've never heard of a doctor who would say, you know, we're going to treat you differently because you smoked. Right. Well, we're going to insult you and say we're not going to treat you. We're not going to give you a transplant because you, oh, I mean, it's, you it, wouldn't have a vaccine. It's completely insane. <clears throat> the other reason it goes against science is that guy they're denying, I think he's had COVID. Like the basketball players that are not mm -hmm. wanting to get vaccinated, they've already had it. Like the tennis star um, that has already had it. So what they should be doing, if they're going to obey the science, let's say they don't want to give it to him because they're afraid he'll get COVID right. when he's immunosuppressed and he might die and they would have wasted the organ. Well, we now know previous infections just as good as the vaccine. Why wouldn't you do an antibody test? And if he's got antibodies, right. then he's been vaccinated. In fact, all the people who've gotten that might be Omicron. called science probably, right? <laughs> but all the people who got Omicron in the last month, they've all gotten their booster. You know. But my other big gripe with him, the main big gripe right now where it could cost lives, is the idea that we should indiscriminately give booster shots to young males. Right. Young adolescent males... Uh, the studies are pretty conclusive, are at heightened risk for myocarditis, and the risk goes up with each successive vaccine. So uh, I just think it's wrong. I mean, the first thing you would do is you were thinking about doing is check their blood for antibodies. They've got it. The kid doesn't need it. But the other thing is to put this in perspective. The death rate under 18 is about right. one in a million. You can vaccinate your kid if you want, but don't force me to if I think one in a million is a reasonable, um, a reasonable risk to take. But definitely you shouldn't give them three vaccines. So because of Fauci and the muddled science, University of Chicago, Princeton, Yale are requiring a booster shot, three vaccines for the, for, the, for the kid to be in school. But for a young male, the studies show it might be 10 times greater risk of getting myocarditis from the vaccine than from the disease. So, I mean, that's just wrong. I don't understand how we can't have a reasonable discussion why, on that. Why, wouldn't, why don't they put that? And just put it out. And let me... And you, you'll make a good decision for um, your kid. There, there's a doctor, <clears throat> Vinay Prasad, that I follow. He's pro-vaccine. I think he's down the middle. But he says they're they're doing a great disservice because they're developing distrust of government. There's right. already a certain amount of distrust right. out there. But the more you lie to people, the more you solidify the distrust, and the more the distrust grows. 
I mean, I'm of the opinion now that I'm not so sure the CDC is honest in what studies they fund, that they're only funding studies that promote one point of view, yeah. that they aren't being objective in what they fund. And this is also the problem of having one person in charge. Fauci's position should be divided up and it should be a committee of five <laughs> different people. He needs to retire. And I think they probably should all be approved by the Senate so we don't get somebody with such partisan views again. One thing I've, I've, felt, I've seen up here, I don't really trust much that comes out of the executive branch. I just think it's massaged. You know, who knows right. how accurate it is? I mean, so you want to talk about you've been you've been uh, canceled. Um, mm -hmm. So first off, talk about big tech and how they've treated you and you know, right. your friends, and what do you think we ought to be doing? The first time I had problems was during the first impeachment of Trump, and I asked a question, and my question was: There's this guy named Eric Giramella, and he's friends with these Vinman brothers who were friends with these three attorneys who were sitting there with Adam Schiff at the desk, and they all worked together in the White House at the National Security Council. Sounds kind of like a coincidence. I said, did they work together? Did they? When did they begin organizing this whistleblower complaint about impeachment? I think that's a valid question. They all worked for the government. Were they right. plotting this at work? There's like six or seven of them. That looks to me like a conspiracy. Uh, and Justice Roberts refused to ask my question. I think I've asked the only, I'm the only person ever to ask a question during an impeachment where the justice refused to ask me my question. And the thing is, is I don't know if any of those people were the whistleblower. I've never mm -hmm. seen any proof of it. I don't know if Justice Roberts is. So he refuses to ask a question based on rumor, I guess, because I don't know how he knows who the whistleblower was. I still don't know who the whistleblower was. But I went to the floor a week later because I'm sort of persistent and I gave the speech anyway and, and said what I wanted to say about this. And uh, YouTube took it down. It was up for a couple weeks, and they took it down. I had a little talk with them. didn't help. And uh, talk about the idea that, you know, speech and debate clause, this is constitutionally yeah, protected right. speech, and that they have the right to take it down. This is where I disagree with some conservatives. They do have the right to take it down. It's a private company. They own it. They, they, it isn't protected by the First Amendment. But when the head of Twitter comes forward and says, First Amendment doesn't apply to us, we can, we can censor anything we want, it may be legally true, but it's not admirable. I mean, the sentiments of the First Amendment were that speech was good, right. and we should protect government from it. They didn't say we would protect private businesses from right. limiting it, but if you were to ask our founding fathers, is speech good? Is freedom Debate of speech good? good? Yeah, absolutely. They would be horrified by this. Yeah, they would be horrified by this, but I'm not so sure I want the government to decide what is good speech either. I'm afraid of having a panel of government experts. The only thing worse than private censorship would probably be government, government. censorship. But I, I do believe in competition. So I fled. I, I started my own website, libertytree.com. I also put stuff on rumble.com. So we don't put videos on YouTube, although we put them up on occasion. We tell people to go to rumble. So we try to use YouTube to advertise rumble. They'll eventually get oh, savvy funny. to that and they may get rid of us. But um, they haven't banned me. I banned them. So right now I'm still able to post and will occasionally try to advertise. I think rumble is going to uh, be big. They've gotten big corporate uh, merger with some influx of money. They've uh, gotten several other people that are popular podcasts to go with them. So I think they're going to succeed. They even offered Joe Rogan $100 million if he wanted to switch from Spotify. Uh, so no Sorry. word on that yet. Yeah, but, uh, um, but anyway, no, I am opposed to it. I think we should look into it. But I, I fear that some of the solutions moving forward might be more than I would be for. As far as, I'm just not a big fan of breaking up companies. I believe right. in competition. And I would like to enhance or look at, are there any barriers to entry that are government barriers to entry that we can remove? One of the bills I'm on, which is kind of an interesting take on this, is the old media, uh, newspapers and television are really small now compared to right. Facebook as far as dollar size. 
And so John Kennedy has a bill to allow them to organize, and it's with Klobuchar, to allow newspapers and television to organize to say, if you want our content, you have to negotiate with Rick Scott, who's in charge okay. of all of us. Gives them the leverage, but antitrust doesn't allow them because they're different corporations. They call it collusion. I would just call it cooperation, but they cooperate. Then they would have leverage for Facebook using their content without their permission. Alone, the Bowling Green Daily News can't really have leverage with Facebook. Take right. it or leave it. Here's a penny. But together, they might be able to get 10 cents or whatever, or some, some kind of number that might be real. So I think that would be one way of it, empowering. They do own it. What's that? They, they, it's their content. It they is their it. content, but I think it's some yeah, sort of how it gets have, used. Yeah. It yeah. gets used without their permission or uh, floated about by Facebook. And there'd be a way of them capturing some. That's one idea that would be different than breaking them up, but trying to empower the people who are trying to do business with big tech. What do you think about these com- these companies that uh, you know have taken like one something that frustrates me is you have a company like Delta who complains about the election laws in Georgia is okay with doing business in communist China. Yeah, the the contradictions I mean just are amazing, and you know you had Coca Cola saying that there was going to be a test and people need to apologize for being white. I mean, look. I, I was born at the sort of the end of the bad era. I was born in 63 and we were getting better. I mean, the 60s still had, you know, resolution mm-hmm. of civil rights and things. We've been getting better ever since. Race relations have been getting better until the last three years. Well, now everything is about race. And it's like um, they're making it worse by all this stuff. And for Delta and Coca-Cola to say, oh, that's Jim Crow 2.0 to show your ID to vote. It's insulting. And, uh, it's interesting that big corporate America has become so left wing and so and but just not very honest. Nobody believes that there's any kind of discrimination in showing your ID. I mean there's nothing in that. And minorities don't believe it's discrimination either. Yeah. Yeah. So I but it is it insulting where they're where they're going with this. Um, and it used to be corporation, as you know, with a the hospital. They try not to be too political. You don't want like no Democrats to come to your hospital or no Republicans. You're down the middle and you, right. you try not to be too partisan in business. It's crazy, but it doesn't make any sense. Coca-Cola's a retail product, and for right. Coca-Cola and Delta, and I don't know if you saw this the other day, the head of Delta said that he wants to put people on no-fly lists that are unruly passengers. Not at all understanding that some of the people are unruly because they're being berated by people right. who from the time you get on the plane say, we'll put you in jail if you have alcohol, we'll put you in jail if you can't open the door, and then we'll triple put you in jail if your mask goes below your right. nose for more than one minute. So or if you're two-year-old, <laughs> you're three-year-old. You're three-year-old, yeah. yeah. Kick um, you off the plane. Yeah. And, and really, some of those unruly passengers were moms, probably mad that you're trying to force my three-year-old or my six-year-old that has uh, development problems and isn't able to comprehend why. Actually, I can't really comprehend why we have masks on. But anyway, you can't keep it on this kid. Um, and he wants to put him on a no-fly list. And so I tweeted out the other day. It's like, remember when we were consumers? You know, maybe we put Delta on the no-fly list. <laughs> yeah, that's what people ought to do. So tell, well, how would you solve the financial crisis we're in the You've had you've had some proposals. What would you do? Yeah, yeah as far as the fiscal imbalance, yeah. 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 Um, I've talked a lot about uh, trying to balance the budget through a gradual way of reducing things across the board. Right. And the reason I came to this realization is I grew up in a political family, and I remember conservative fights back to the '70s. And conservatives have always had public television is left wing bias, and Sesame Street's got to go. And then there's this back backlash because apparently people loved Barney and they loved mm-hmm. Sesame Street. And so I thought, you know, rather than just eliminating entire left-wing projects, why doesn't everybody take a haircut? 1% right. across the board. And then what happens is that 
I think people are more understanding of that. And I'm always amazed. I tell people the story of people with uh, the Alzheimer's supporters come to my office. They've got the purple ribbons on. They've usually got a mother or a grandmother with it. And it's a very emotional thing to them. And it's like it's hard to tell people no or that we don't have enough money. So I usually will look at them and I'll say, well, you know, I'm very sympathetic to this. I have family members with this also. And it's like y'all got $100 million last year. Could you live with $99 million next year? And they go been asked that. And they all say, they all nod their head and say, well, sure. We just want money for research. And if it's 1% less, but if, nev- if, it's, if it's for everybody, if it's for everybody, right, you don't pick and choose. Right. Right. But the thing is, is almost nobody in Washington thinks that way. Yeah. The other problem with doing 1% less is we're doing 107% this year. So we'll do with the entitlements. It's about a 7% increase with the non, with the discretionary, it's about 2%. Overall, it's about a 5% increase. So if I want to do 99% of what we spent last year, they want to do 105%. So the differential is more like about six percentage points. But I think it's easier to explain that I'm not against Big Bird. Uh, you know, I'm just against uh, 1% of what they're spending right. over there. And I think people accept it. Plus, the division up here is right and left is military versus non-military. Right. So right now, um, our people got together on the Republican side and they said, we'll only raise the money you want if you raise our money just as much in the military. So it's the opposite of the compromise we need to balance the budget. So we demanded, and Republicans won this week, but only by getting to increase. Democrats were going to increase their money for welfare this much. So we said, we have to get that much too, and so we did. So the compromise is up, 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 and the compromise really needs to be the the opposite way. It doesn't mean dramatically reducing any of it. Um, I'm, I'm convinced you could say we're going to hold the line 1% on Medicare and not lose any benefits. I think you really could. I think there's probably enough waste in the system that you could squeeze out of it. I'm a business guy. I can tell you, <laughs> you have to. You have I had businesses. You had to reduce your costs at least two percent every year. You had to because have, have, the contracts you had with your customer. Have you ever seen a government agency work that way? No. Well, they did when I was, they, when I was government. <laughs> yeah. we, I balanced. The, we balanced the budget. We paid off a third of the state debt in uh, in eight years, and we. I mean, we balanced it without borrowing more money, and we actually cut taxes every year. Yeah, you can do it. Yeah, no, I think it can be done. Most people you talk to outside of Washington will tell you stories like that. You said two percent. Sometimes businessmen will say we had a terrible year and we cut back twenty percent a year. You don't have a choice. You need money. But but it's also why I I say there's two parts of the economy: the efficient part and the inefficient part. We are the government's the inefficient part. The other part's efficient, not because they chose to or anybody voted on it. Well, they do vote through their dollars. Yeah, they're voting every day. Yeah, but it's 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 more efficient because. There's a feedback loop. If you weren't succeeding as a hospital executive or owning a hospital, you get a feedback loop and you have to change something. Up here, you can Every do things day. for, yeah. But up <laughs> here, the, the the feedback loop, if it exists at all, could be decades long. You can do the wrong thing for, look at the post office. They've been doing the wrong thing for a couple of decades now. And they're billion, I think they're, what, they lose a billion a quarter? I remember they had one guy came in and they were saying he, they needed to pay more for a CEO. He said, you can't get good people. You know, without paying, they wanted to pay him a million dollars or her, whoever's going to be the postmaster. And I said, well, how much talent does it take to lose a billion a quarter? I mean, I'll do that for a half a million. I mean, what, what are you going to pay a million dollars to a person who's going to lose a billion and never a quarter? Fix it. No, it's a, but it's inst, it's institutional. It's because the, this, is, this is a fact. 80% of the post office is labor cost. UPS is unionized, but still only 50% of their cost is labor. Uh, FedEx is non-unionized, and they're 38%. So, I mean, it's just we have too high labor cost and we have never adapted or made it modern. And it also has a little bit of an egalitarian imprint. If you live 30 miles down a dirt road, by golly, you're going to get your mail six days a week. And if I live in an urban setting where it costs 
pennies to deliver it to me, I get it six. You know, it, it, that would all, the marketplace wouldn't do that. They'd charge you more if they have to right. go down that that road. You know, right. FedEx and UPS would. Yeah, you have to. So, right. well, I I hope your uh, hope your election goes really well. Uh, I I enjoyed serving with you. Uh, I think I mean I, I I got to watch you while I was governor. I think we got elected about the same time. Is this where I get to plug my randpaul.com? You if should you go to randpaul.com. You can help me, please. Do you have, do you have, uh, is there anything you want to text or anything? Uh, no, just randpaul.com. Okay, randpaul.com. I learned that from Lindsey Graham. Just say it three or four times in every interview. Randpaul.com. Randpaul.com. Yeah. All right. Well, this is the NRC Red Zone. I hope everybody will subscribe. This is our second podcast. Uh, if you want to help us, make sure we get back to the, the Senate and help individuals like Rand Paul. Uh, thanks again, Rand, for being here. Thank you.